This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. History Teachers Talking Podcast short lectures have now grown up and moved to their own channel. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast, History Shorts, wherever you're listening to this episode. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to History Teachers Talking, and here is your newest episode. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Fresca, and welcome back to our podcast. I think this is a really fun one. I mean, I, I think so. A little different than what we normally do in the past, I would say, yeah. All right, so what do we got today, Tommy? Well, in honor of the shopping season, the holiday season, right, we're going to be looking at the rise and fall, and to a small extent, the rebirth of the American shopping mall, really how the idea came about, the craze that it was when it was, and then the decline, and then how some have bounced back on in with like new concepts and things of that nature. It's not exactly the same as what they were before, but I guess we can talk a little bit about, because you and I kind of grew up in a generation where malls were a big deal. Like I remember yeah. going to the mall, like that's what you did on the weekends. Oh, let's go to the mall. And that's, <laughs> that's all you ever did. Yeah. Life as a teen. Even as a preteen, if your parents dropped you off at the mall, it's like, we'll pick you up in two hours. It was like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, freedom, you're at the mall. But some malls actually have outlawed that now. You yes. have to be 18 or older or have an adult with you in order to be at the mall past a certain time. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, Garden State Plaza in New Jersey did that. Did not Which is one that. of the biggest malls, yeah. Well, what brought us to this was actually Tom's wife said to us, why don't you guys do an episode uh, on the American malls dying out? And I was like, what a great idea. So here we are. But the last enclosed mall, which is the definition of what we consider a mall, was built in 2006 in the United States. So 2007 marked the very first time since the 1950s that a new mall was not built anywhere in the United States. And you start looking at it, almost a quarter of all America's malls closed just between 2007 and 2009. It's not really looking that great going forward. How do we get here? We'll go kind of a backtrack, right? So yeah, yeah, you kind of gave like the end of the story there a little bit, Pete, before we gave with the beginning well, of the story. Well, it's just like, a, you know. But I know, I know you just started talking like a history teacher and got out of control, but it happens. All right. The first fully enclosed mall, and it makes sense that this shopping mall was where it was. It opened up in the suburbs outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, so obviously it's going to have to be enclosed. Yes, a lot of the early shopping malls, even the ones in the early 50s, were more outside. What I mean by that, they were there was no roof. They were more like garden. There were gardens and stuff like that. So it kind of resembled the malls if you like looked up a mall today or like the malls from like the 80s and early 90s. But the first one that really was fully enclosed was called the Southdale Center outside of mm-hmm. Annapolis, Minnesota. And it contained shops. It had a fountain. It had art installations, had a courtyard, and had a bird sanctuary. It was very popular, and it was like designed by someone by the name of Victor Gruen. And he was an architect known for designing boutiques and storefronts up to this point. 
people saw pictures of this. Again, there was no online. People saw pictures in magazines, maybe on newsreels, and people just went crazy. Like, oh my God, this looks amazing. They actually compared it to the other big craze of the time, which was Disneyland. And Walt yep. Disney actually loved the work so much that he said that mall was inspiration for his next theme park at Disneyland, which was Epcot Center. These malls, they like influenced even Walt Disney, their design. Now, you look at it today, some of these pictures, it looks outdated. So and that, that was one of the yeah. problems that led to the fall of malls, which we'll get to later. They didn't really update with the times a lot, but it was a perfect thing at the perfect time. Because at the same time in the 1950s, you also had increase in the interstate highway system. So suburbs were growing at like really fast speeds. So having these like mall centers where people could get to easily now through the highway system, plus the fact that this is post-World War II America, the middle class was growing and had more money to spend. And then yeah. why did it spread nationwide? It's because a lot of new tax laws changed, which actually made it like more, more worthwhile, more lucrative, I guess you could say, to invest in commercial real estate. So these they started popping up all over the place. And I saw one example that kept on coming up in a lot of the readings that I was doing was that six new shopping center plazas were built around a place known as Cortland, New York, between 1950 and 1970. Even though the population barely got bigger, six shopping centers popped up around there. And I was thinking about this from like where I grew up, there were probably like five or six malls within 20 miles, 25 miles from yeah. where I grew up that you could just go to with ease. And you wanted to go drive a little farther, it could be even more. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you, you, I feel like you always had to drive further to get to the bigger mall. The bigger yeah. mall, but they, but they were still even the malls that weren't as big as like the they were still big size malls. They had movie a lot of them had movie theaters. They had arcades. They had those anchor stores, which we'll talk about. So it just gives an example. A lot of these suburbs they pop up. But I do. I was looking at this map. If you really look at the map, most of them are in like the Northeast, and you have a couple in the Midwest. But you go like by like California or like the West Coast. There's very few malls. You have a couple in the Midwest. You have the Mall of America, which is the world's biggest mall, which we're in Minnesota, which we'll talk about. But if you go up and down like the East Coast, particularly like the Northeast, there's malls everywhere. It's like basically a explosion of capitalism is what you're seeing with these is these malls and all these stores and stuff like that that are that are popping up. But it really is like the perfect time because it's just people are having money and they're just growing, right? In the 1960s, there there were about 4,500 large shopping malls in the U.S. At least three new shopping centers opened up every day since 1956 to 1960. So in that four-year span, there were new ones opening up pretty much every day around the country. It's not like the, the idea of a shopping mall was altogether that new. The no, difference no. being here is that the key, as you mentioned, is the fact that now it's climate control and it's enclosed. Because the initial malls were around really shopping malls, meaning like a bunch of boutique stores kind of lined up next to one another. Really, the first one opened up in like 1920s in uh, Missouri, and then another one in late 20s, early 30s in Ohio. In 1930s, what ends up happening is this line of boutique stores start, instead of facing out to the street, they start facing inwards. So it forces people driving by to actually pull in, stop, and now walk around. Victor Gruen, an Austrian Jewish architect, decides to capture this life that he left behind in Europe, this idea of like a bustling town square that was the whole key and it's interesting yeah. because a lot of malls are called town square and that was his big idea it's like let's create like a town square that's enclosed so regardless of whether it's snowing or raining we could bring u.s communities together this idea was like to replicate the feel of really like a medieval market or think of like a greek agora like a community space where people could meet exchange ideas but also purchase goods and services right like yes the shops are an important part of the design 
but they're not the entire point of the space. Like even when Gruen envisioned the first mall when he built it, you know, he thought like maybe they'll have medical centers, maybe they'll even be schools and you could take classes and you could have the gym. Yeah, it was like it was like the center of your town, like you, like we were saying before. And that's why they had like the bird sanctuary and stuff like that. It wasn't yep. just all for selling goods. And that's really what, what the malls were in the beginning. And then the 70s made it very American, right? Because the 70s brought in a new invention. The first one was actually New Jersey's Paramus Park Mall. 1974, they add basically, when you think of a mall, what else do you think of besides the stores? Think of the food court. Just think about it now, smelling all those smells, right? When you get by the food court, the, the Panda Express, the Cinnabon, the, the Philly cheese steaks, right? The chicken teriyaki, yeah. all right there. And that starts in 1974, Paramus Parks Mall. And they, they did this because they figured it would be a good place for teenagers to safely socialize, right? They can come here, the parents drop them off, they can even eat dinner here type of thing, right? It becomes like a cheap way to get like, you know, maybe go on a date or something. But it was also a way, right? It's always capitalism, right? For the mall owners to make more money because now they rent out this very small space where these people are turning out pretty quick food, like Nathan's hot dogs, like we said before. It's sure, like but $5. It's, Literally, I was on the food court the other day, a Nathan's hot dog was like five fifty. Well, that's inflation. Yeah. Because yeah, everything's getting a bit more expensive. You don't have like big restaurants and stuff like that. That's going to come later on. But yeah, you think of like some of those early... 80s movies, like the thing about Fast Times at Richmond High, where are all the kids working? They're working at the mall. So it also becomes a place for teenagers to go, not only to socialize, but also to make money themselves, getting these like after school or weekend jobs at these various malls throughout the country. Bringing that up, in 1978, Gruen actually has an interview where he's like, I do not like the modern direction yeah. of the malls. And even though he's like, I'm off, he says, I'm often called the father of the shopping mall. I would like to take this opportunity in that 1978 interview to disclaim paternity once and for all. I refuse to pay alimony to those bastard developments that destroyed our cities. Like this guy was intense about it. He says this because of the issue that he believed that the mall started attracting people, especially from the suburbs. If you live in a suburbs, 1950s, 60s, there's really not much to do for you as a teenager. You start going to the mall. But his big thing is, it almost seemed like the mall attracted so many people that it had a huge negative impact on the previously established urban landscape. You used to have these like little towns and the little boutique stores and people would shop in town and you would know the hardware store owner and all that stuff. And all of a sudden it destroyed that. And he says it actually like destroyed the fabric of small town America where everyone looked out for everybody else. This yeah. idea of like you could send your kids out in town and if like Jimmy doesn't act well, you're going to hear it from Mr. Smith from you know the hardware store. And like know that's about it. Gone now. By 1970s, 33% of all U.S. retail sales were happening at shopping malls. By the 1980s, it was over 50%. It was at 52, 53% in some areas. So it's just growing. People just say, well, we're just going to go to the mall. We're going to do everything we need to get at the mall. And that's what it came. And he also, I saw that he didn't like the idea of like malls started building, obviously, because their, their volumes come up. So they build these massive parking lots, right? There's this asphalt everywhere. Yeah. He's like, that's just destroying like the, the beauty of it, like the architecture of what the mall is really supposed to be. And they just keep on growing. By 1986, there were 25,000 shopping malls nationwide. Consumer Reports named it one of the top 50 inventions that revolutionized consumer life. It was right up there with birth control and antibiotics. That's the so American like, mall. It, yeah, it's the things that change people's lives, birth control, antibiotics, and the mall. Like think about that for a second, but it really does make sense if you think of the height of these things. And listen, we were like young kids in the 1980s, but going to the mall was kind of like a big deal. Yes, I went when I was a teenager, but as a little kid, if your parents were bringing you there, it was a big deal. And if you go back and look at some of the footage from like the 50s and 60s, people 
got like dressed up to go to the mall. Like they were like suits. Yeah. It was a big day out, especially if you lived farther away from some of these malls. It would be a big deal. And Christmas time was a really big deal to go to the mall. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it still is to a certain extent. But we're, we're talking about this idea of how it hurts the suburbs and how it, it kind of hurts the social fabric of what it means to be, you know, in, in small town America. But it also really hurts cities as well, because as we know, the way that a mall was designed is you had these big department stores on each side. Yeah. And these and stores it, were like what? Sears, Lord & Taylor, JCPenney, right. Macy's. You were definitely, their name brand, you're still aware of them now. Yes. So they are the ones that were like the big stores. And in between, you had these little shops, which were actually known the anchor stores, the little businesses. But really, it was every mall was designed the same way. You took a big department store, and then you put another department store and build a bunch of little ones in between. Now, well, this is important because the growth of the department store has really started in 1920s before, and before that it was catalogs and Sears catalog, we know that. But by 1920s and 30s, these department stores that had pretty much like you went into the store and you could get everything from a fork to underwear to, you know, whatever you need. That was really a big city thing. New York City, Boston, Philly, right? You name it. Major cities had these big department stores. Once the department stores were brought into the suburbs and became like the cornerstones of the mall, it actually took away from downtowns of like cities. Yeah. Well, people right? didn't need to go there. They, you and and those bigger stores. And it was just safer. Like gonna, it was considered safer. It was in safer. The but also, these big stores, they're going to be able to put a cheaper price. It's what we're going to see later on happens to these big department stores. They lose money to the Targets and the WalMarts because they can offer the goods at a cheaper price and they have everything there as well, which yes. is something that the that like Sears can't offer because they can't. They don't have like food where the Target and WalMarts will have that. And also talking about changes like societal change, right? Think about it. Prior to this, all these department stores were located in the cities where you could, you know, public transportation. Now, because the malls are encircled by these wide highways, they lack sufficient public transportation connections, uh, they become impossible to get to without a car. So that further changes how the consumerism in America works and how people, if you want to participate in capitalism and consumerism, you actually now need to purchase a car to go shopping. And like we said, this mall culture just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And I guess you said the apex of this, right, was in 1992 when you have the Mall of America opened up in Minneapolis. Yep. It's the, still the biggest mall today. It's a 5.6 million square foot mega mall. You have over 500 stores, a theme park, a roller coaster, an aquarium. There's a wedding chapel. There's a comedy um, club. There's an escape room. There's a movie theater. I think there's even a hotel in it. I mean, I think but, honestly, I, I think that is the epitome of exactly what he wanted from the shopping mall when well, they build him. Yeah, because you never have to leave. Rick Negrin wanted this like community town square. I mean, that's kind of the epitome of that. Yeah, and this becomes a huge tourist attraction in Mall of America, which it still is today. It still draws about um, 43 million visitors every year, about 900 million in sales. So like the Mall of America still does well mostly because it is the biggest and Americans want to go there just for like the, um, the factor of it. But other malls which we'll get to in a little bit, do pop up and they follow that model. They do not do the, the as well. And we'll get to that, why that starts to change. Really shortly after this mega mall gets made, it was kind of built and then other people start copying it. And right away, everything starts to decline. What leads to this decline? One of the things is the big department stores, the stores that were these cornerstones of the malls are the ones that are actually flailing the most, the ones that are well, filing for bankruptcy. It's for a couple of reasons. Like one, like you said, those stores are leaving. And it's because they're cannibalizing each other. There's too many malls. Yeah. Too close to people. Like, well, I don't want to drive to that mall. The traffic's too crazy. 
or that mall is too difficult to find parking, right? Or whatever. So they're going to go to these smaller malls. But in the smaller malls, they, they don't have the anchor stores, but the anchor stores go to these bigger malls. So then the smaller stores don't have as many stores. So then they start to go under, right? Because American shopping habits are really starting to change because they're being replaced by these one-stop shops like Walmart and Target, which is then going to reduce people even going to these big department stores. If they're not going to those big department stores, they're not going to be like, oh, well, why, while I'm leaving Sears, let me check out, see what else is going on. No one's going just to go to like a Sam Goody, which I know some listeners might know of that That's store. That's not a thing well. anymore. The younger <laughs> ones would be like, well, what's a Sam Goody? But right. that was like a mall staple store. Well, but that's what it was. People would go to these big stores and then the anchor stores in between would be like, well, as I'm walking from this one to that one, I'm going to hit up the anchor little stores. But now the issue is because the big ones are closing, there's almost, you know what I mean? Like, well, there's no reason to go in that side of the mall because Sears is no longer there. So all the little stores on the way from Macy's to Sears are starting to close. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. What also you're seeing a lot of these malls, like we said earlier, is that they've been around for 20 or 30 years. So they kind of look outdated. A lot of them are getting like these updates to look more modern. So they look really modern when they were made in the 70s or 60s. But nowadays, they just don't have that same like, up-to-date look. So mid-2000s are what's called dying malls. Malls that are still open, but they're basically die- dying because they're losing money every year. And then what really starts to hurt them as the buying trends change is the 2008 recession hit. And that yeah. sent in its sales plummeting, mall vacancy rates soaring. And by the end of 2009, you had a lot of these like dead malls across the country. I remember one was by my parents' house. I remember going out as a kid. It pretty much the whole mall closed down. They demolished it about a couple of years ago and built a shop right there now. But I remember you could see pictures. Of, it was just like empty. It was like eerie inside, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, even now you walk around and you're like empty, empty, empty. Some. When you start looking at decline of American malls, right, as to like why, it's a combination of economic, cultural, and technological factors. It's not just yeah. one reason why they're declining. No, there's not one reason. Not people just woke up and they don't like malls anymore. That, that's exactly. not what happened. And everyone's always going to blame the first main one. I mean, this is important, but not the only reason. But e-commerce and online shopping, 100%, it does influence the, the shopping. It's a major factor because... People always talk about Black Friday and stuff like that. And I, I, ne- I never really went shopping on Black Friday. And maybe I occasionally just to see what's going on. I remember working in stores on Black Friday when I was a teenager. And it was fun just how people were so crazy. Like, wow, this is nuts. But like a lot of people now, they're like, why I'm not going to venture out into those stores where I could just order the same thing online with a click of a button. So it becomes a lot easier just to do that. And that does become a major factor without a doubt. I just saw this um, statistic. I can't find it now, but 50% oh, easily, um, easily. is now purchased of, of goods are purchased online. But then you're looking at changing social consumer behavior, specifically Gen Z and millennials. There's a lot of studies that actually show that in particular, Gen Z and millennials prefer experiences and the convenience of online shopping over traditional mall experience. So one, they prefer to just, if they need, if they really need some kind of product, they, 
Gen Z and millennials. So that's us, I guess you and I, Tom, we, um, well, we are millennials though. Um, but barely, I guess. Yeah. So the idea is that we prefer the uh, convenience of online shopping, but also the Gen Z, there's a trend towards spending money on experiences rather than traditional retail. So Gen Z is like, Hey, listen, I don't need to buy myself a cool, fancy TV. I rather go and see a, you know, a Broadway play, dining, entertainment. It's not about owning things as much for the newest generation. Yeah, the middle class doesn't be, isn't as resilient now as it once was. A lot of middle income shoppers, they're going to looking for cheaper things, like you said, because like I don't need the more expensive. I just need one that works, and that give me a little extra money to go to these experiences. But also, they're not making as much, or their money doesn't go as far as this one did. Oh, that's we're talking about sure. the inflation. So a lot of them yeah. are leaving those other bigger department stores or these malls behind because things tend to be a bit more expensive there. Yep. And then kind of returning real quick to what you said before, uh, market saturation, right? Increased competition among too malls many. themselves. They just build too many malls. And therefore, they struggle to attract tenants, not just shoppers, but tenants themselves. You're like, you build these humongous malls. But because there's already a similar store, let's say there's an American Eagle within 10 miles away in another mall, American Eagle's like, I'm not going to open one here eight yeah. miles away. Like, it's not going to work. And then another thing you kind of mentioned, so I'm kind of, I guess I'm pulling it all together, this idea of popularity of discount retailers, right? Like Walmart, Target, it kind of diverted consumer spending from traditional department stores. So you used to go to these anchor stores and be like, I'm going to go to a store here to buy some music. Although even now, no one buys music. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to buy CD. Yeah here. I'm going to go and buy, remember Payless shoes or whatever. I'm going to buy shoes here. Even the idea of like, you're walking and I'm going to get a sweatshirt from this store. Then I'm going to get a cologne from that store. Yeah. Like the now different you could, bags from all the different stores. And now that's not exactly. No, now you go to target and you're like, all right, I'm done. Like I, I got everything I needed. And then something that I mentioned, the decline of major department store chains, Sears, JCPenney, it really resulted in anchor vacancies and decrease in just overall mall traffic. People are like, all right, it's not going to happen. Well, if they're not there, um, they're not going to go to the store. Yeah, they're not going to go there as much. Because a lot of those smaller stores change quite a bit too. Exactly. And talking about changes, going back to this, these new generations. So, you know, I'm talking Gen Z and millennials, Gen X even. Consumers, because there's, drawn a lot more to the experience they're actually ironically going back to the first mall blueprint from 1920s and 30s they are drawn to open air shopping environments like retail that combines with dining with entertainment with residential spaces you see a lot of that now where you see these new apartment buildings being built and right around the apartment buildings they're like build a mini neighborhood i see this so many times where all of a sudden you have a panda express and it's like outside you know what i mean like it's not part of a mall and next to it is i don't know some burger joint and it's this idea of like building yeah right there right behind it yeah exactly it's all in one the highways and what's also a lot of these malls become empty and a lot of them to show how like totally got consumed by like the online a lot of them actually became amazon fulfillment centers these empty malls amazon buys them and turns them in fulfillment centers so many other ones turn into aquariums a lot of them become um escape rooms and haunted houses and stuff like that during certain parts of the year so you do have those sorts of things doctor's offices and there was some attempts to bring them back like um in 2019 they started being built much before this um, if you live in New Jersey, you're probably aware of this. In East Rutherford, they had the Mall of America. It's a nation's second built for how long? Mall. Wait, when did, when did they start building that? I think they started building that right when the recession hit. Like, like it was 2006, seven. yeah. It, it didn't open until 2019. I remember this mall is massive. It has its own water park, indoor ski hill, ice skating rink, um, yeah. hundreds of rooms for stores. The problem was when it filed, it was in 2019. And then 
six months later, COVID hits, the pandemic hits and was forced to close its doors. So it's still open. For those who listen to podcasts, you know, I live, we live in New Jersey. I've never been there. I've seen it. I've never been there either. I've known some people who go, I'm not trying to talk bad about them all, but no one that I've, no one that I even know that has gone there has had a good experience there. Like it's just saying like you have to, it's just expensive, very expensive. You have to pay just for parking. It's not easy to get in and out of. And that might, one reason why it's actually lost $60 million just in its first year of operating. And they actually missed their last uh, debt payment. So it is cool to have a cool like Nickelodeon water park and stuff there. And I've heard good things about that, but most of the stores are still empty there from what I've heard. So what's going to happen to these malls? Like, I mean, we mentioned some ideas here, but I also saw that there's a lot outside malls now. There's not the traditional mall anymore. Well, they still have those indoor malls, a few. Yeah, a lot more of those outside S-Barns are popping up. A lot of the indoor malls that still survived, some of them did become popular, particularly after the pandemic, right? People wanted to go back to the mall. It was kind of like that, like nostalgia. And the foot traffic has been increasing. They said last holiday season that they were returning um, to the malls really for uh, bulk sales and stuff like that. A lot of people wanted that like kind of like that experience or they remember having it when they were a kid and then now they're bringing their kids to kind of do that too. And there's a lot more events there. Like obviously we'll talk about a little bit. We get to some fun facts about the malls, but like used to have like concerts and stuff there now. And obviously like the mall Santa and stuff like that is always popular around the holiday season. But um, the Simon Property Group, which is what most malls are probably owned by, they're the country's largest mall owner. They said that mall occupancy rates, right, so the people going to the mall and owning the mall actually has been increasing. It's not increasing a lot, 2 to 5%, but it is going up. So they say consumers are returning back, but they're probably never going to get to like the The heydays. Those heydays of the early 90s. That's just not going to happen. There's just too many other ways consumers can spend their money now and people are being more conservative with their money. But they do think that most Business Insider and all of the other magazines that I looked at for this did say that like, they might be struggling, but like, they still have a future. They're still part of the American culture, particularly in like the Northeast and like, you know, by, by like the larger cities and the sub- some of the suburbs, if they're connected with the highway, but it's still going to be a popular thing. It's still kind of like a place to go. You still see teenagers going there. So it's kind of like a rebirth of that to a certain degree, but not to that like huge level it was because again they do have movie theaters there now you ever go to the the big one new york the palisades they have pretty much everything there they go there one floor of just all restaurants and stuff like that a lot of stores you maybe can't find other places so it's more of those unique stores now you still have the american eagle and stuff like that and those big time stores like jc penny's and certain ones but you have a lot more of these like i don't want to call them mom and pop but i guess you almost have some of these like privately owned businesses you might not find anywhere else but you're going to find in these malls because the prices are cheap enough for them to just open them there. Yeah. I mean, now you can have comic book stores. Nothing wrong with that. Again, prior to what we grew up with in the you know, 90s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, there was anchor stores were all chain stores. And now yeah. there's actually like smaller one owner, one shop places. So I think, you know, before we get into fun facts and finish this up, let's let's talk about some of the stores that are no longer around that used to be staples of the anchor stores in between. And, you know, looking at this, I, I found this website that has these and I'm like, it's like nostalgia for me. But some of these I remember, like my wife, when she was a teenager shopping and some of them I remember like Wet Seal was apparently like once trendy young women's clothes remember. retail. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. I remember. I remember that place. Closed completely in 2017. Right, only online now. So Sharper Image, which was a yeah, staple. <laughs> it was a staple, right? Yeah, but I don't it was. I don't know anyone who's ever whoever bought anything there. 
No, you just hung out there and looked at all the cool stuff. Because you could, like go on the massage shows, all this stuff, but I don't know anyone actually bought anything from Sharper Image. Well, guess what? It closed all its locations in 2008. Sorry. Sam Goody. Oh, my god. We goodness. talked about, yeah. That was everywhere. Well, they said a lot. Of, they filed for bankruptcy in 2006. A lot yeah. of the locations were bought up by FYE, which I guess still for your entertainment. They still have. Did they even sell CDs? But Sam Goody was basically just music. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Remember walking up to like, you could like pick up the headphones and listen to a song. Like, oh. Which would never, like, I don't think kids would want to do that now, putting on headphones that like 50 other people had. put on that day. And I don't think the teenagers who worked there ever cleaned. Like, it was one of those things that it wasn't going to survive. I, you know, I wouldn't sort of thrive in today's market, especially post pandemic. But yeah, there was, I mean, Sim Goody, that was like, the place. Was the place to be. Yeah. And uh, so oh, the malls also had their standard smaller stores that were just known staples of the malls, such as KB Toys. KB Toys, Toys yeah. was the toy store for the mall. For the mall. Yeah. 100%. Right? One of the largest U.S. toy retailers, actually, besides yeah. Toys R Us. And they, both, they all died. Uh, they filed for bankruptcy, uh, KB Toys, in 2008 and closed all of its stores shortly most thereafter. Most of them were in malls. Yeah, most of them were in malls. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't remember this one. Do you remember Zany Brainy? I saw that on one a couple of the lists. I think I kind of remember that. Yeah, never I seen one or two that. of them. Yeah, another uh, music like the music the, those music in like TV, not even DVDs. Well, I guess they're on DVDs, but mostly VHS tapes, like coconuts music. I remember do you remember oh, yes, seeing a lot of yes, those. Yes, yes, yes. You said there is actually a, a couple that are still around. I remember one of the ones was I didn't go, but one of the ones at Garden State Plaza at the time was actually having um what was her name? Jennifer Love Hewitt be there. That was like my biggest crush in high school. Oh, that's awkward, but okay. What do you mean um, awkward? Jennifer Love Hewitt? Oh my God. Can't hardly wait. Dude. Yeah, what, you Jennifer can't Love be Hewitt. saying that. This is like a family, family friendly, friendly podcast. So, oh, oh, I, so okay. I couldn't crush on somebody when I was 16, 17? Come on. No, because you knew your wife then, so that's a little awkward. That is true, actually. <laughs> so when, when she listens to this, that's going to make a problem. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was like a big one. That went, that went out. So yeah, a lot of those video stores, just like the Blockbuster, they just go away when like the streaming really starts. Walden Books. Yeah, I never. I don't, I don't even understand how the bookstores today, like Barnes and Noble, stay open. To be honest, I don't know. You. Well, they because that's because they like restructured, and now they're all about showing covers, and they also sell Legos and board games and music. Like that's enough to stay afloat. But anyway, Walden Books is a bookstore, obviously. Yes, uh, it was a branch. I think it was a branch of uh, Borders, was wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot of them. I do remember. But that was that the like when you saw Walden Books, that was a mall type of bookstore, just like KB Toys was a mall type of toy store. Force Authority was another one. You yeah. would go and get like all like I remember going there all the time and that's where I would go. Like the day after the Yankees won the World Series, I'm going to Sports Authority or Models and just which you both closed down and just go and buy all my new uh World Series merch. Like that's what you did, you know? Yeah. And now it's uh, not gonna happen. Another one that was to be a big anchor store, but also obviously had its own stores outside of mall was Radio Shack. Gone. Yeah, Radio Shack. Um, the Wiz. The Wiz. Nobody yeah. beats the Wiz until everybody beat the Wiz. It's interesting when you watch like Stranger Things, like, you know, when they're in the mall season three, right? Like, and they walk through that mall. It's cool because they recreated so many stores that literally no longer exist. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted to talk about a little bit, like briefly, like instead of like the, some of the fun facts, really like things that like, I guess we're going to sound really old here, but like younger kids are just never going to like appreciate as much about going to the mall. Like that was like yeah. a big deal. I remember just walking the mall, especially a new one, but wow. Okay. Like going to that map or trying to find the map and then figure out where was the best place to go. Like. And you have to remember, you remember, you couldn't, you couldn't take a picture of the map because you didn't have a cell no, phone. No, you, you didn't have a cell phone. So you had to kind of remember where to go. Then you kind of forget 30 seconds later and you just walk around anyway. 
and Cody wanted to do, but just that and throwing, throwing, uh, making wishes in the penny fountain. Yeah, well, I did see one recent that still had that. No, I did one. Excuse me. No, we went to I forget what mall we went to. My wife had to get something somewhere when he had this one store, and it said, "Please do not throw money into the fountain." Really? Yeah. So they actually they actually had a big fountain. It was like a big like sphere, and all the water's coming at it, and it had a big sign. It's like, "Do not throw money into the fountain." Obviously, there were still people throwing money in the fountain. Is kind of what I remember at Willowbrook Mall. Remember there was. Like I used to always think there's so much money in that fountain when I was a younger kid. I'm like, yeah. like it was just through. Oh, then, you know, and then usually that money was donated to like make a wish, you know, some sort yep. of march of dime, some sort of uh, charity. But yeah, you would, that's what you did. You just I remember going to mall as a kid. Oh, can I have some change to throw into the fountain to make a wish? You know, that's what you did. It was kind of just like, and it was fun. You do that and those little like kitty rides everywhere. You know, like you had Knight Rider, Dukes of Hazard car, Garfield. Yeah, put like the quarter in, and you would just like move up and down for. Yes. Two minutes. But that was like, you know, that was like going on a roller coaster back in the day. We should mention, we should finish with this one. New Jersey, our home state, Mm -hmm. has more malls per square mile than any other U.S. state. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why there were so many just where I grew up. I just remember going to so many malls. You could just drive to all these different malls all the time. Yeah, literally. The most out of every state. We have uh, around 28 malls in the 7,354 square miles of land area. That is literally the most malls per square foot out of any state in America. Some are considered dead malls. There's actually like a website now, apparently like dead malls, whatever you could go to that like chronicles all the dead malls. But still, like we are the the mall state. Let's put it that way. There you go. Change that to the license plate. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it was a nice nostalgia trip uh, uh, to the U.S. mall. Go find them all. Go shop instead of... Actually, really, you should go shop local. Just shop local. That's right. Boom. We're killing the malls, Tom. We're killing the malls. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. We really we really appreciate it. And make sure you guys reach out if you have any suggestions. We're always open to those. You can always find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Uh, make sure you click that subscribe button, like button, tell your friends about us. And that's pretty much it. That's all I got. So have an awesome week. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.